This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. All right, let's get to the Business Week agenda. Joe Weisenthal, Markets Editor at Bloomberg News, co-host of What'd You Miss, coming your way at 4 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg TV. David Wilson, Stocks Editor at Bloomberg News, both of them back in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. And guys, I'm watching. We're, get, we're get, definitely getting some market reaction. We're seeing yields uh, along the yield curve reining in. That two-year note was yielding 225, now with a yield of 220. And we've also seen the equity markets uh, gaining some momentum. Joe, what's your initial thoughts here? on what we got from the Fed. What what should investors be taking note of here? Uh, I think it's interesting. We see we're more reaction really in the fixed income market. So yeah. fairly notable move, rates lower across the board. Uh, you know, obviously the Fed taking note of the fact that inflation is going in the opposite direction of their goal, reiterating the patient stance. Doesn't look like they're in any hurry or inclination to get off that stance. Also, uh, you know, this sort of... Um, the uh, people who care about the plumbing of the financial system in the money markets will note that interest on excess reserves um, were cut by five basis points. Most people would say this is not so much about the economy, about but about technical things that are going on. Nonetheless, uh, but it's a know, cut, right? It's, it's a, cut. a cut. The cut they would say is not in response to financial to economic conditions. But right. financial conditions, because there are all these kinds of weird things with the shortage of reserves and regulations. So they would say this is not about a response to the economy, but about keeping the plumbing of the financial system going. You know, obviously different people will have uh, different views of that. It's very modest because the view was that their ability to control the short-term rate, uh, which has not been changed, was coming under pressure for various technical reasons. It is striking, though, uh, there's very little equity market reaction. The S&P 500 up one-tenth of a percent, yeah. essentially exactly where it was before. So pick up there, Dave uh, Dave Wilson. What are the equity markets thinking about the Fed these days? I feel like we've been waiting with bated breath, and now, as Joe just very rightly pointed out, a muted response. True enough. It almost looks like what's happening in the stock market is to some extent taking its cue from the bond market. I mean, I looked at the uh, most interest rate sensitive areas within the uh, S&P 500's 11 main industry groups, namely real estate and utilities. And after uh, the decision came out, they both hit their highs of the day. Now, real estate is kind of leading the way uh, in today's uh, market along with technology. And uh, on the other hand, you have utility stocks actually down. So it's not like they're moving in tandem at this point. Nonetheless, I mean, at least in that area of the market, you're seeing a bit more of a reaction than when you look at the S&P 500 more broadly. I mean, just the very minor fluctuations in the wake of well, uh, this decision. I got to say, and one of my favorite things to do when we've got some big news, whether it's a jobs report or whether it's a Fed decision, is I'd love to like look at get a snapshot of the market just before it comes out and then what it looks like after. The S&P was flat. It's now yeah. up six points. The Dow was up about 21 points. It's now up 51 points. The Nasdaq was up about 24 points. We're now up 42 points. So yeah, maybe not getting, a huge market reaction, but we're gaining some upside we, momentum here, Joe. We are. And this has been one of my main themes lately, which is that lots of small gains 
day mm-hmm. in and day out, yeah. you turn to huge market moves when you zoom out a little bit. And so we've had yeah. numerous days like this, tenth of a percent, a quarter of a percent, uh, you know, five hundredths of a percent. But when you add it all up and you look at the one-year chart or you look at the year-to-day chart, the stock market is like a rocket. Even yeah. if on individual days, it never feels that special. Well, and it's a great point that we've been hearing repeatedly here in mm-hmm. Los Angeles at the Milken Institute Global Conference. People feel great about yeah. this market right now. It was really hard to find somebody over the past couple of days in private, in public, in the hallways, at dinners, at yeah. parties, who wasn't like, yeah, this is pretty awesome. I, I would have loved it. Too bad Milken wasn't in December because I would have loved I to know. Heard, heard what people were That's saying. That's a great point. And what's so interesting, I'm so glad you brought that up, Joe, because – just the way the calendar falls. Last year at Milken, it was a very different right. mood because we were just off of that February, right, February volatility, crash. right? And so it's were people uh, more negative? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it was a it was a much more sort of like oh, I don't know where this goes well, from here. One thing I think is that you can't uh, dismiss the importance of the stock market in in informing how people feel about the real economy. We like totally. to think that the real economy is what matters and then the stock market is sort of this snapshot of it. But the feedback mechanism goes both ways and there's nothing like a rally in the market to get the movers and shakers of the business world more confident about the deals they're doing. One of the individuals on my real estate panel and he does luxury resorts and he said it's all about the stock market yeah. and that's what really drives you know whether or not people are feeling upbeat enough to buy a resort property. Well, and, you know, to Joe's point, I feel like we go back, Dave Wilson, to earnings season and a a lot of optimism there as well. And, you know, there's economic and uh, business optimism in that case. And that does play through to to equities, right? No, it does. I mean, all you have to do is look at Apple shares. You can see how that optimism plays out. You know, uh, Apple up 7%, doing a lot to lift the S&P 500 here. And it's noteworthy that, you know, what you're getting out of the Milken Conference is kind of showing up in the weekly survey of newsletter writers by Investors Intelligence. Mm-hmm. This week's figures out today showed the highest level of bullishness in at least a year and at the same time, the least bearishness among these investment advisors. So, you know, there is some more confidence uh, being built up, especially as the S&P 500 sets records. Sure. It, it's you know slow right. and steady as Joe was talking about, but you, all you have to do is go back to 2017 and see what slow and steady can produce because we certainly had it then and it's coming back again now. All right, we're going to leave it there, guys. Joe Wasenthal, markets editor at Bloomberg News. Dave Wilson, stocks editor at Bloomberg News. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Our focus is back east, Carol, yeah, as absolutely. we sort of digest. And understand where the Federal Reserve is with this latest meeting, this latest decision. We're going to hear from Chairman uh, Jay Powell in just a few minutes about the decision that he and his colleagues made and take some questions from reporters. Um, But let's get into this with somebody who knows a thing or two about how this all goes down. Uh, Dr. Gary Stern is former president, of course, of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. He joins us on the phone from there. Dr. Stern, great to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Good to be here. And so as you look at these headlines crossing and you look at what the Fed said, what's your key takeaway? Well, I don't think there was really any surprise in all of this, despite some of the drama leading up to it. Um, You know, the the incoming information on the economy in recent weeks and months 
uh, was pretty much as expected, given that the Fed was has indicated that they were going to be a patient policy was on hold. The data incoming uh, was consistent with that. Some of it was reasonably positive. Some of it was less so. Uh, I don't think I don't think there was any surprise in the Fed's decision, nor in the recent performance of the economy. And I would expect that uh, this will persist for uh, for some time going forward. Yeah, I think that's great analysis. And we're just watching the markets because I think the markets are reading it as incredibly dovish. Ira Jersey, come on into the conversation. You're our chief U.S. interest rate strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm looking at our live blog. You, I think, sent something out, um, or maybe it was another individual, but just talking about how the markets are really seeing this um, as dovish. Actually, yeah. I think it's some comments from you, but you think it's, you folks at BI think it's more of the same overall. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's, I think it was taken as dovish because of the inflation comments that, that were changed. Really, the statement was not changed a whole heck of a lot except for um, the first paragraph, which really has to do with the assessment of the economy over the last couple of uh, weeks, over the last six weeks or so, which is was a mixed bag. So the, so the idea that you have, uh, you know, the inflation rates below their 2% target, we knew that. And that means that they're not hiking. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're easing either. So I'm not sure why the market is kind of, uh, the uh, the Treasury market rallied a bit at the end of the, uh, after the statement. I'm not sure that that's the correct move. So uh, Gary Stern, uh, take us inside the, the room at a time like this, as you know, you and your former colleagues w- would have been Having these discussions, what are you looking at? What are you thinking about, especially in a market that it feels like day after day is thinking so keenly about Fed policy? We've heard it repeatedly here uh, in Los Angeles as we've been uh, talking to investors, executives, uh, and others. What would a meeting go like in an environment like this? Well, the thing that strikes me about this, and it's been true now for years, is despite the you know, despite some of the um, drama around the around Fed meetings, you know the Fed really hasn't faced any great challenges uh, since since the financial crisis ended. Yeah, I mean it's been a pretty pretty easy time to make policy. And yeah, rates you know rates have gone up a bit in recent years, but they haven't gone up dramatically. They haven't had a profound effect on financial markets, at least as far as I can tell. I would say that uh, former Chair Yellen's tenure uh, was uh, low on drama, and I would say so far uh, that's true of Chairman Powell. Now, you know, some of the political uh, 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 signals have created some drama around all of this, but if you're a Fed policymaker, you kind of tune that out and filter it out pretty quickly because it's not based on careful analysis or, or, or a compelling rationale for why the Fed ought to do one thing or another. It's a political statement, and, right. and you take it for what it is. And so, but I have to ask you, like, I understand what you're saying, and I believe you, but this is a new level of drama in many ways from a political perspective. I mean, a president dictating what he thinks very specifically should be the Federal Reserve's policy uh, when it comes to interest rate. Does it become a little more difficult uh, to tune that out, or do you just sort of dig in even further and really um, kind of focus more in some ways on that Well, I think it would be more difficult, as I said, if there were some compelling analysis Got it. That, 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 you know, that you had to... That those tweets that were based on? Take, <laughs> that you had to take seriously, that, yeah. that all this was based on. 
but we haven't seen any. We haven't seen any of that. And, and we should also, you know, I go back quite a ways with the Federal Reserve, and people forget, but back when Paul Volcker was chairman in the 80s, there was a fair amount of political pressure coming from the administration, not so much from President Reagan himself, but from some of the senior officials around President Reagan, the Treasury Secretary, uh, senior people in the White House, and so forth. And um, there was a lot of um, there was a, there was a lot of concern yeah. about the politicization of the Fed at that time, and so on. But if you look at at the way the game turned out. Uh, I think you'd say that the integrity of policy remained intact, and that's that's what I expect in this environment as well. It's such a great point, and you know, I think back to uh, Paul Volcker's book that that just came out. He wrote it with uh, actually one of our colleagues, Christine Harper, mm-hmm. and he tells those stories. You're exactly right, Doctor Stern. He tells those stories about you know being called to the White House and having those conversations. And right. you're right, he did. He faced an a, an enormous amount of pressure. I I guess we have just gotten used to that not happening over the intervening you know 25 years. Well, that's true, and and it would certainly be better. Uh, I think for all concerned, if it didn't happen, right. but we shouldn't pretend that uh, you know this is a this is a brand new uh, experience because because it's not. Right, that's a great point. History great always helps us in understanding where we are. Ira, I'm just curious too about what you think the Fed chairman needs to be asked in this press conference. I, I think he needs to be asked a little bit about something that's very wonky and very technical, but he needs to be asked about what the Fed plans to do about keeping um, the Fed funds rate within the band. Because I've been expecting them to talk about a, uh, rever- a repo facility. So this would be a facility that would add reserves on demand, similar to the opposite, the reverse repo facility that's been in place now for a number of years. And um, because the Fed funds rate keeps creeping higher and it keeps creeping higher for some technical reasons that I won't get into here. But part of it is certainly the Fed's balance sheet reduction. So the idea that there's less reserves in the system, there is demand for this type of money. Now, that's the reason why the Federal Reserve lowered the interest paid on reserves by five basis points a day is to keep it there. But I, I think that interest paid on reserves might not be a sufficient tool in order to keep uh, the, the, the Fed funds rate within the band. So therefore, they need to probably do some other operations. Before the crisis, that was really easy. They just would come in and do $20 billion of an overnight reverse uh, 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 repurchase agreement operation, normal, what they call temporary market operations. But today, with a trillion dollars of excess reserves in the in the system, it's not obvious how large those would have to be. So, um, so I would ask them something about that, what the process is. They mentioned it in the minutes from uh, a few meetings ago. So is that in process? Will we hear about that at the June meeting? And is right. that something that they still intend on doing? We're speaking with Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. He's back in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. And Dr. Gary Stern, the former president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. Dr. Stern, I want to ask you, you Carol mentioned that uh, Chair Powell is going to be addressing reporters, and now that's the regular gig. That's the way that these things go. Does that change at all, sort of that increased amount of communication or the increased frequency? Uh, Does that does that change anything, you think, in terms of how the market uh, deals with the Fed and tries to synthesize all the information, this sort of added level of transparency to some extent? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it should be and, and likely will be a net positive because uh, basically because uh, it is a greater frequency of communication. I'm sure Chairman, Chairman Powell and those who are uh, helping uh, do the preparation for these co- press conferences you know, go go through a lot of things 
in advance of the meetings, and it's an opportunity, obviously, to uh, send some sig- send some signals with, uh, with greater timeliness than you otherwise would have had than you would have had in the old regime when there were only four press conferences a year. So I think it's a, a good idea, but I don't think it's a game changer, right? Because right. the Fed chair can always find opportunities to, you know, to give a speech or to meet with reporters or do something off the record if there's a signal you want to send. So I, right. I wouldn't exaggerate its significance, but net, it ought to be a plus. I just think those days of coming in and the Fed doing something as a surprise first thing in the morning, they are perhaps long gone. I don't know. Uh, a lot of transparency, and many people think it's a good thing. I do think, Ira, how does it help you in the Fed having a press conference every month in terms of analysis about what might come from the Fed going forward? Uh, Quite frankly, and I'm going to be a little bit maybe, uh, (laughs) uh, well, I'll be honest here. I think the quality of the questions matters a lot. And I think Mm -hmm. like last month we didn't get, uh, we we wound up getting the same two questions asked over and over again, and that wasn't particularly helpful. And Um, he gets frustrated. uh, Yeah, he does. It's like asked and answered, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. right. uh, (laughs) um, I would like to see, you know, a little bit more probing questions, maybe around some of the nuance uh, around it. I, I think part of the thing is, is that the, the the Fed chair at this point, um, the, you know, like uh, like Dr. Sign noted, you know, it's really been quite easy. So for them, like ask, being asked in the same question over and over again has to be frustrating. One and two, it's the little details that matter. So it's not necessarily like, hey, why do you think the Fed's, you know, why do you think the economy's slow? I mean, he's been asked that so many times over the, since his tenure started, and he's answered that same question over and over again. So ask more probing questions. It's um, it's it's modestly helpful. I think in a day like this when maybe the market is misinterpreting the statement a little bit mm-hmm. it is an opportunity for the chair to to explain things in a little bit yeah. more detail and maybe get the market more on the side of what the fed uh, was actually thinking and let's just remind everybody the market definitely has kind of moved to the upside rallied on this the s&p is now up about seven it was flat prior to the fed decision dow was up about 21 points now up about 68 the nasdaq was up 24 now up about 47 points but what's really been interesting is how we've seen uh, yields definitely move in all along the yield curve right now that uh, 10-year note uh, had a yield of 248 now at 245 two-year note let's go to the shorter end uh 221 is the current yield it was jason yielding 225 prior so we've seen yields definitely rain in hence the dovish interpretation right. So, Dr. Stern, I want to ask you, I would imagine that once you've had a job like you did as the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, you never really let go of the the things that you're looking at, the people you're talking to about the state of the economy. So uh, help us understand what you see there in Minneapolis in terms of how the economy feels, how your neighbors uh, are talking about how the business leaders uh, there in Minnesota are are thinking about the, the world as it sits economically right now. Well, I, you know, I, I think Minnesota and Minneapolis reflects uh, right now pretty much what's going on uh, nationwide. I mean, yeah. in the sense that there, there are undoubtedly some pockets uh, of the economy that are not thriving. But overall, we have a pretty healthy economy. We have a very strong labor market. I would say in, in this area, anybody who wants a job can get one. Now, it may not be their dream job, but if you want to go to work, you can go to work here, and I think that's true in many places uh, across the country. Um, I, I, I don't know that I hear a lot, frankly, about near-term concerns of economic performance, unless you're, you know, adversely affected by um, uh, uh, some of the trade battles. 
and it's either affecting your ability to export or it's costing you more to import. I think the concerns, to the extent that there are concerns, are longer term, uh, mostly because, you know, we, we have, and I don't know that we want to dwell on this this afternoon, but we have, you know, some challenging demographic uh, issues given our entitlement programs. I mean, right. We have an aging population. We have generous entitlement programs. Uh, and something's got to give there. Um, inequality is, of course, another topic of conversation, but I don't think those conversations, frankly, lead to very much because I don't know that anybody really knows what to do about it. It's such a great point. I, I mean, and, you know, we're out here, Dr. Stern, in, in Los Angeles for the Milken Conference, and I think it's been surprising to both of us how much those questions and those seemingly, or the feels at the moment, intractable problems around income inequality especially have dominated a lot of discussions lot. at a place yeah. that candidly is, yeah, they're about problem solving, but often they're about deal making more than anything. But it does feel like, and I think it's very relevant to talk about about this afternoon, that that is creeping into the economic data, especially candidly, when we get outside of New York and Los Angeles and, and San Francisco, even though it exists in those places as well. Uh, and let's not forget, we got a presidential election uh, yeah. coming up and the economy is, is at the heart of all that. Well, I think that's a great point. And Ira, come on in too. I do wonder is the Fed, and I don't know how much of this comes into its, into their thinking, we can ask Dr. Stern about this, but do you think, Ira, that the Fed um, is thinking about if we do, eventually we should have some kind of downturn, do they have enough wiggle room to juice the economy uh, when it's needed? Well, I, I, let me say two things. Firstly, I'd like to talk about the political comment for a second. So we yeah. wrote a report um, about four months ago where we looked at income inequality and its relationship to political partisanship. And mm-hmm. over the last 120 years, it's been very correlated. So basically, back uh, around the turn of the 20th century, you had very high income inequality and you had very um, you had very strong partisanship in Congress. And then you had you know trust busting and you had Teddy Roosevelt come in there and, and do his programs that actually helped income inequality quite a lot. And, and that's now that income inequality has been growing, you see this you know political partisanship increasing a lot more. So, so I think that that is an interesting I, I don't know what the policy response should be, but I, I think that that's an interesting uh, correlation that that uh, that does exist. I, I think from the from the other side, you know, the, the Fed uh, does have tools that it can use. And one of the reasons why it wanted to do quantitative uh, tightening and reduce its balance sheet is so it did have that tool back in its toolkit. And it can also lower interest rates 200 basis points if it needs to. And it's not so obvious to me that with the lack of, of uh, economic volatility that we've seen over the past 10 years, that perhaps, you know, a couple of, you know, 150 basis points might be enough for the economy to be able to get back on its feet if it's a pretty modest slowdown. Okay, just have about a minute left. Dr. Stern, some final thoughts on today's decision. Well, um, you know, I, I think what today's decision uh, implies beyond what the, the matters we've already discussed is uh, you, have a, you have a Fed that's going to be extremely attuned to incoming data on the economy, not just for its own sake, but, but whether it, it affects the you know, Fed's view of the performance, the outlook, the Fed's view of the performance of the economy going forward over the next, you know, three, six, nine months and more. I mean, that's that's where we are. I don't think we're going to move out of that kind of position for some time. I think it's perfectly understandable that that's where we are. Right. right. And um, 
you know, we ought, we ought not to, in my opinion, I guess a little editorial comment. I mean, in general, the economy has been doing well. We yep. ought not yep. to lose sight of that. It's a great point. Great point to end on as well. Dr. Gary Stern, former president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, joining us from that fine city in Ira Jersey, chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence back in our home studio in New York. And just give me some kind of sign, girl. Well, we did get a sign from the Fed, and we also heard from the Fed Chairman Jay Powell saying U.S. inflation is possibly being dragged down by transitory forces, and there is no bias to either tighten or ease monetary policy. He said it. Let's get some analysis from Bob Eisenbeis. He's vice chairman and chief monetary economist back with us over at uh, Cumberland Advisors. He's on the phone from Sarasota, Florida. Also with us are Alex Harris, bond reporter at Bloomberg News. She's back in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Bob, I do want to start with you. I, it was fun watching market reaction because initially this report was very much read as a dovish report. You saw stocks rally. You saw interest rates being reined in. And then after all was said and done and after the press conference, the equity markets gave back their gains and then some. And we've seen yields higher than before the Fed announcement. How do you read this report? Well, I think there's several things that are sort of interesting, and a lot of it, I think, centers around the inflation view. And initially, I think when everybody thought the Fed patient, uh, that was because uh, they, they thought that uh, there would be no rate hike. Uh, and then there were persistent questions about uh, what the Fed would do with the Fed sort of start to cut rates uh, if, in fact, they were not going to be able to achieve their inflation target. And that focus, I think, and the way Powell answered that question by not answering it, implied they don't know what they're going to do and how long they're going to just be patient and let things rise, ride along. And so once that rate cut was really sort of taken off the table by his non-answer, I think that then provided the impetus for rates to move back up. So that's, that's my interpretation of what actually happened. And it was because people were expecting, at least from the line of questioning, that if the inflation runs consistently below target at some point, the Fed is going to have to act. And he said, well, we'll consider it. When he was pressed, he didn't have an answer. And I interpret that to mean... They're going to keep it as it is. There's nothing wrong with 1.5, 1.6 inflation as long as the economy is growing well. So, Alex Harris, uh, come on in here. Take us inside the newsroom to the desk as you guys were seeing the statement, but more importantly, listening to Chair Powell, who, you know, as, as one tends to do, had a little bit of an effect on the market, as, as Carol laid out, what was he saying specifically that caught investors' attention? So here's here's the thing, Jason. In terms of the the sentiment on the desk, um, and I, and I think the bonds FX group, uh, particularly my team leader Ben Purvis, can speak to this. Is we've sort of been running around like a chicken with our heads cut off for the last three days. So everything leading up to this meeting was actually really important for us yeah. because one thing that we are not talking enough about is the Fed made a technical adjustment to that in- interest and excess reserve rate. And it, it was sort of up in the air at the, at the end of last week as to whether or not they were going to do this. And I think some people were in the front end space were like, oh, well, we got kind of caught by that. And some were like, no, this is what we thought they were going to do. And the reason I'm flagging this is because 
Funding markets have been under pressure. Yesterday was month end. It was just, it's April. It's not a quarter end, but yet the overnight repo rates were at like 293%. That's huge for April. It's not a quarter end, so it was really unusual. You know, the Fed funds rate has moved up to 245. That's five basis points below the top of the band and where the Fed usually likes to come in and interfere here. And, you know, so what Powell was saying about why they decided to do this, and then he had some interesting comments in his presser about this and saying, well, you know, if we control the Fed funds rate, then that spills over into everything else. But I I think they're wrong here. And and I think they're finally starting to realize like, okay, reserves aren't scarce yet because of the balance sheet unwind, but they're getting tighter. And I think they're starting to recognize that, which is why they came in now, because there's no reason why all these funding rates and money market rates should have been at the levels they have been, Mm. you know, in the run up. And yes, there are some extenuating circumstances, tax season and the inflows into the treasury account have really been weighing on the market a bit here. So now everyone's going to wait and see, okay, do repo rates start to come back down? Does the Fed funds rates start to come back down without that tweak? So it, it really is crucial here. And and I think something that people should start paying attention to because it is about reserve scarcity and the Fed's still running down its balance sheet for, you know, another few months. So, Uh, you know, can I just interject? Yes, please. Please. Because um, there's a very simple solution to this issue, and that is the Fed can simply open the window and begin and buy, sell Fed funds at the target rate. They don't have to let it sit and let the market go through all these machinations. Very simple fix, and I don't know why they don't. Well, and then, and to Bob's point on that, you know, people have been saying that, and there's been talk that the Fed is going to introduce uh, what they're calling a repo facility for the top of the range to help control interest rates better. You know, but there's some debate on that as well, and people I've spoken with said, oh, so we're going to have another discount window by another name and maybe hope that people use it. So, and, and it came up in the press conference that Jerome Powell said they will be looking at this at upcoming meetings, and we know that they've already been looking at this. The New York Fed has been asking the primary dealers about it. So we know it is, in fact, on the radar, but we'll see. Oh, just one additional observation to that point. That is, it's not only another discount rate, but there is another group of participants who are not banks involved in that particular market. So this essentially opens up a breadth of market beyond Fed funds dealing directly with the Federal Reserve itself. All right. So, Bob, yeah, what did you hear Chair Powell say about the underlying economy and, and what they're hearing and, and sort of synthesizing as they have to do? And you know this well uh, sure. from your days at the at the Fed Bank of Atlanta, you know, synthesizing uh, all of that economic data. What jumped out at you in terms of things that he highlighted? What, what struck me was when he was talking about uh, the, the 3%, 3.2% growth in the first quarter, uh, Normally, that would be great because everybody was expecting history to repeat itself and have another first quarter being uh, a bit sluggish, and we didn't get that this time. But he chose to emphasize the fact that there was evidence of slowing in consumer spending, slowing in investment. And that, to me, sort of took a little bit of a glow off that 3.2% number. Yeah. Uh, going forward. I thought that was particularly interesting. One other point I'd like to raise, if I can, please, that is 
this time around, the statement talked only about core inflation and the target. If you go back to 2012, when they set the target up, they said they were targeting headline PCE, not the core PCE. And if you go through the statements, uh, up until just recently, most of the statements talk about core and headline being close to 2%. Well, that's because they've been close to 2%. Uh, but going forward, there's a lot of confusion in the market now, whether core is the target or whether headline numbers are on the target. And the policy says it's headline, but the Fed is confusing things because of this continued reference to core, particularly in this statement today, which has only mention of core inflation. So, Alex, uh, 30 seconds here. What do you need to see or what do you expect to see in the markets as we continue to digest this? You know, I'm not really sure. I think we'll kind of see the continuation of the reversal we saw in the treasuries. Yields yeah. were up a little bit here. You know, I think people are just going to have more questions than answers. And when we come back to the front end, I'm making a list of questions that I have, which is Powell keeps saying that, oh, we're unlikely to tweak this again. And yeah. then they tweak it again. But I don't think they have room. So this is now the things that we are looking for. And everyone's going to be doing a little bit of soul searching here. All right. Soul searching indeed. Alex Harris, bond reporter for Bloomberg, back in New York. And Dr. Bob Eisen, vice vice chairman and chief monetary economist at Cumberland Advisors down in Sarasota. Thank you both. This is Bloomberg Radio. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no. No, no, no. Who's going to drive you home? Honey, please. I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me. I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. It is time for the drive to the close, and we are driving lower when it comes to the equity markets. Let's get some thoughts from Let's Ryan see what you Dietrich. Did there. You like that, huh? Yeah, that's good. A little bit of sleep, and that's what you get. Ryan Dietrich is senior market strategist at LPL Financial, $659 billion in assets under management, joining us on the phone from Charlotte, North Carolina. Ryan, it's been fascinating to watch uh, the market's reaction, both the equity and the bond markets, in reaction to uh, the Fed decision initially and then the press conference, because initially, investors thought it was a, a dovish report, dovish comments, and then felt very differently after they heard directly from uh, Chairman Jay Powell. Right now, we've got equities pretty much at their lows. We're selling off here. How do you see the markets? Because my feeling from what we heard from Dave Wilson, our stocks editor and stocks columnist earlier, you're still bullish on the markets. Hi, Carol. That's right. Thanks for having me back, first off. Would you talk about just today? Yes, the S&P is down about 60 basis points near the lows. Let's just remember, since Chairman Powell's been in charge of the Fed since February of last year, stocks have only been up once on a Fed day. So selling off, especially after a Q&A, is kind of normal, not too mm. abnormal. But, you know, the big picture is this. This is, as we know, one of the best starts in years. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? that You're saying that historically that's how we see the Fed reaction, the market reaction, the equity market reaction? Yeah. yeah. If you look back, Carol, again, on all the Fed days that we've had since Fairman Chow took since uh, uh, Powell took over in February of last year, for whatever reason, we've only had one update. I think it's 
nine or ten times, but only once were stocks up on a Fed day when he obviously gave a press conference. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and I honestly, guys, you know, why is that? Hey, listen, talk to ten people, get ten answers. It's really not abnormal to see some weakness on a Fed day is what I'm getting at, especially over the last couple of years. I wouldn't put too much into this weakness here. But the big question, of course, is, hey, we've had this significant rally, one of the best starts to year ever. Now we're in sell and may go away. What does it mean? Well, you know, our take is this. I've come on with you guys for a while saying equities look like they should rally. Fortunately, that's been the case. We do think, you know, over the next couple of months, it makes sense to us that I hate to use sell and may go away because, guys, stocks have been up six years in a row in May. So let's just say maybe it should be called sell in June, right? Right. But still, with this rally that we've had with a little tricky season, Time frame, we would be lightening up a little bit here on equities, expecting some type of a well-deserved pullback after a 25% bounce since those December 24th lows. Wow. And so take us back a little bit because, you know, sell in May, go away was this whole notion just to remind people that, you know, folks in the in the markets, big investors, they just like dump it out, go on vacation for the summer, and sort of see you in September, right? I mean, that was, that's, the, that's the axiom. Well, that's right, Jason. I know. I guess I have to work all summer. I think we all do, too, but that's kind of how it works, right? You look at, since 1950, for instance, all the different six-month combinations. Well, the worst one is indeed from May 1st until Halloween, the end of October, with the S&P up 1.5%. Now, let's be honest. That's still positive, right? It's still the weakest time frame. And then look at the, you know, just look at the presidential cycles, right? Four years ago in 2015, and then four more years before that, 2011. So pre-election years, we saw some really big pullbacks pre-election years during the troublesome six worst six months of the year in 2011, August on the U.S. debt downgrade, and then the Chinese concerns we had August of 2015. Now, I know those were rare events. At the same time, for whatever reason, you know, you kind of get a big pullback. When you look at a pre-election year during sometime during that um, um, sell and may go away period, we think that could be the case once again with pretty big gains here. The positive news, guys, the underlying fundamentals are still really strong. I've been saying for a while that we think the economy can expand the second half of the year more than what most people think. So the way we're positioning here at LPL Research, we, we've been bullish. We've been taking yeah. a little bit off, and we're looking for a chance to buy back in a little bit better bargain prices here sometime this summer. So to that point, Ryan, you know, I, I was taken, uh, I guess, over the weekend by some comments that uh, former uh, Treasury, Treasury Secretary uh, Tim Geithner made about essentially saying this is going to continue. There's nothing really stopping it, echoing some of what you just said. The only thing that could get in our way would be, in his words, quote, dumb mistakes. Uh, one of those presumably would be around monetary policy. Any concern from hearing from Jay Powell today that we're in danger of them doing the wrong thing for the balance of 19? Well, fortunately, we don't think there's been any major hiccup today. I mean, we've made new all-time highs three days in a row, and we're down, you know, well, I guess, yeah, down about 70 basis points on the S&P now. But that's the big thing, right? I mean, we're... Bull markets don't die of old age. They die of excesses or a policy mistake, you know, and we don't quite see a policy mistake yet. I know the yield curve, the short end of it inverted, you know, uh, a couple months ago and everyone got worried. But, hey, look at the 210 spread. It's been, it's been steepening this year, and that's helped financials, and that's an underlying positive in our opinion that we just simply don't see the – I guess we'll call it the recipe for some type of a recession over the next 12 to 18 months. We'd still so, think that, you know, stocks should outperform bonds here. 
Ryan, I got to ask you though, and just one metric, and I know there's a lot of metrics in terms of how you can mm-hmm. look at any market, the equity market included. But if I look at the price to earnings ratio right now, we're at 19. That is a pretty high level. We did see that back into, uh, we went a little bit higher back in 2017, but that's a little bit higher than uh, what we've seen on average over five years. Don't you feel like at this point, to some extent, uh, that uh, the fundamentals have to grow into that valuation for the equity market, especially for, you know, so much of the gains, again, is, is you know, a lot of those bigger names and in some ways some of those tech names. No, great point there, Carol. You're right. I mean, PE multiples definitely have expanded. And why is that? Well, prices are all-time highs, and a lot of the earnings estimates for this year clearly have been cut the last couple of months. But it's also in a vacuum, right? If you look at earnings, I'm sorry, PE multiples, historically speaking, they're a little bit higher when you have low inflation. Now, we continue to see lower inflation. So the fact that PEs are a little bit stretched here with low inflation to us isn't too big of a shock. We have seen that throughout history. But the bottom line, again, we saw the largest cuts to earnings in the first quarter since we saw early 2016. We think, once again, what happened in the fourth quarter, that very scary 20% correction, all the calls for recession cuts on earnings, we think earnings are going to come in better than expected when all said and done. It should justify where we are now, maybe some, some more gains before the end of the year, really. All right. Well, time will tell. Ryan, nice to check in with you once again. Ryan Dietrich, he's Senior Market Strategist at LPL Financial, $659 billion in assets under management. On the phone from Charlotte. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.